Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, Lou. Good morning. So we are continuing on Chapter 12, the qualities of a bhakta or a devotee or spiritual person. And we are going to start on quality 16. Lou just asked me if we had done 15, and <laughs> I thought I had, but uh, we will do that perhaps next time if we haven't done it. Yes. Um, so I wanted to go back to 13 and 14 where we left off last time because I don't think I gave that enough uh, attention. Oh, good, because I've been dealing with this the past week. In what and way? And it's been in my head. In what way? The last show about not being agitated by the world and not agitating the world. Right, So right. this has come into my thinking. It's funny because the podcast has been in my mind for a week now. Yeah. Well, off all, <clears throat> at some point we may need to go back and see what qualities strike people because everybody is struck by a different quality and as we said in one of the initial qualities in order to be a spiritual person a person who's a devotee a bhakta going to a temple going to a church going to a mosque and praying basically asking for things doesn't work uh, we've all seen that um, doesn't get you the peace of mind that you're going to a temple for so the Gita says if you have these 35 qualities, you're a spiritual person. But the Gita knows that all of us cannot have, as we're on the path to spirituality, all these 35 qualities. So it says if you get one of these qualities and it strikes close to your heart, or two, then the rest automatically start to follow. That pick the one that really st stirs something, like Lou was saying, yeah. 13 and 14 struck a chord with him. This week, yeah. This week. It's been in my mind. And I think I said that uh, when when I heard the quality about hating no one, it doesn't say loving everybody. It says hating no one, which is a very important distinction that I gave the example of how I, when I was in the hospital, there was this one maintenance person, sorry if I'm repeating myself, but some of you may not have heard that. Uh, there was a maintenance person, a janitor, who used to close, clean the floors of the hallways between the various units. And he was not a friendly person to anybody. Uh, had a face that sort of people would interpret as being mean or dispirited, not a nice, friendly guy, never said good morning to anybody, just was very sullen looking. And people, I guess it's an automatic human nature. If you feel somebody doesn't like you for whatever reason, you don't like that person, or you are, you, you are indifferent to him. But, and I used to walk by him, ordinarily I'd be, you know, in a, good mood and say hello to everybody and be friendly and say good morning but to him I never did because I said for whatever reason he doesn't like me I don't know that I consciously thought about it but after hearing that well, you one, don't see the door open you don't see the door You're open it's a, shut so right. you don't knock on it right um, after hearing that one quality about hating no one I said I've got to start practicing this and I did and I think I mentioned to you that um, I started saying hello to him, good morning to him, smiling at him, uh, you know, making small talk, making small comments, and it turned him around so nicely that I was saying after that, what he used to do, you know, normally you give a high five to somebody, yep. or, and, but because his hands used to be dirty as he was a maintenance guy, <laughs> his technique was he used to give me his elbow, and I used to, <laughs> as I'm passing him in the uh, hallway, we used to elbow each other and he used to give me a smile. I like it. To nobody else. Yep. And that quality extended. And the other, like Lou was saying, quality number 13 and 14 struck a chord with him. So 
I wanted to address that further. So a person by whom the world is not agitated. That means a person that doesn't agitate people around him. So Lou, let me ask you, who agitates others? Who is a person that agitates others? Well, usually someone who makes something, someone di something difficult for you. Why does that person do that? Uh, that's the thing. Yeah. He doesn't do it to make it difficult for you. He does it because of his needs, whatever, what he needs. Right, because yeah. of what he needs. So he's trying to change the other person to adjust, adapt to his need. Right. So basically... He may not be doing it consciously either. It's just, I need the world to adapt to me. Yeah, he yeah. is doing it consciously because he knows he's okay. asking yeah. for this person to change, to adapt to him. So you can get countless examples of husbands you know, uh, asking wives to change something, yeah. wives asking husbands, just driving on, on the street, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you're saying somebody is oh, going, yeah. you know, a certain speed and you're honking yep. at him or tailgating him to push him to go faster. You are now transferring your needs and the desire for having that person fulfill your needs yes. onto that other person and you're agitating him. So. A bhakta, a devotee, doesn't agitate other people. He doesn't try to control them or to change them. He is selfish in that respect because he's thinking about himself and his needs, right. and he's transferring them to other people. Um, a person who walks in says, I'm hot, I'm hot, you know, turn the air conditioning down without wondering about what the other people are. Whereas a bhakta, a devotee, a, a person who is devoted to getting to a higher level, mm -hmm. essentially is only thinking about other people and trying to help other people and dealing with his needs, controlling them for the most part, and thinking more his focus is how can I get to be better? Right. So he doesn't really think about himself and therefore he doesn't agitate the world. So a person by whom the world is not agitated is a person who is not thinking about himself. Now. Lou, you may say, well, I'm not going to be, not in this lifetime, you know, self-realized. Right. Uh, so you may say, well, if I can just keep this in mind, if that really struck a chord in you, if you can just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this in my mind, that next time I feel I want somebody to change and adapt to me, I'm going to say, no, control that. Let's not right. think about myself. Let's think about others. You will find a change coming about in you. So it could be the community, it could be a bus that you're commuting to work on or a train, anything. So that's the person who doesn't agitate the world. Now let's look at the reverse. A person who is not agitated by the world, yeah. what do you think that refers to? Well, I think a person who realizes some of the things we just discussed that doesn't take things personally when the world is trying to, is asking something from them. Right. So a bhakta's attention is not upon what he can get for himself, but to realize what he can give to other people. Yeah. So he's not agitated by the world. If there is a rush hour, I'm, I'm thinking about traffic because of traffic <laughs> you, coming here today to traffic, the studio. Yes, I was yes. just in traffic. So you try not to get that, allow that to uh, um, agitate yourself you allow enough time to get here, 
you know, I was making sure that I didn't keep you waiting. Right. And I wanted to try and get here early. So I allowed myself enough time so that if there were traffic, I'd still be here on time. Right. Now, sometimes it happens that even after allowing adequate amounts of time, you're still late. Yes. Because the traffic is so bad, it's at a complete standstill or whatever. At that point, it should be rare that that happens. And usually, once your intellect gets to the point where you can think like that, you say, okay, I allow myself enough time. I know that there sometimes can be traffic. I'm going to give myself right. enough time. I'm not late. Your intellect allows you to be prompt. And we'll see one of the qualities about promptness and cleanliness and so on. Someone put it to me at one point talking about people who sometimes get upset because an event gets rained out or there's weather or something. You have no control over the weather. Why would you give it energy? Right. You just kind of deal with it. This morning, for example, I had my job was curtailed because I had no power because of the weather. Right. But I can't control that. It's not personal to me. You just kind of deal with it. Right. Yeah. So then... Try to make everything on that level where that's out of my control. Yeah. Everything is out of our control. Yes. Right? Yeah. W you may think, well, the weather is out of my control, but really, essentially, everything is out of your control. Except our reaction to it. Right? My, my niece said to me day before yesterday, she had called me, and she was saying that at some point she, she asked, you know, I'm an adult now, and I should, n I, my part of my world was saying everything should be smooth, and yet every time there's a problem. And she said, you... I told her, as her uncle, that imagine that as a child you're swimming in a swimming pool, and as an adult you're, you just started to wade out into the ocean for the first time, and these big waves yeah. are coming at you. And she, I, she says, you told me that as an adult you're now venturing out into the ocean. And be prepared that there's going to be waves knocking you off your feet, and it's going to be one wave after the next after the next. You have to be prepared to go past those waves and into the ocean where it's calmer. Now, I don't remember saying that to her, <laughs> but... Sounds like you, though. I thought it was something like a nice <laughs> analogy. Yeah. Um, but basically what I was saying is be prepared in life that there are going to be things. Once you know that there's going to be a constant thing. Yesterday, my battery died. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was going to die. I parked, went inside to do what chore I had to do, came back, my car wouldn't start. And I had things planned that I had to do. I was able to roll over that, that allow that to roll over me because I didn't allow it to get me upset. Right. I picked up the phone, called, got a tow, took the car in, got the battery changed, made my phone calls to say, listen, I'm going to be tied up with this. Doesn't happen most of the time, but when it happens, as it happens to all of us, flat tire, you know, dead battery, something comes up, you have to roll with the punches because mm -hmm. it's not going to change your life one way or the other when you look back at it. Right. No, life goes on. So the next thing that I needed to do is to say desire is at the root of all emotion. All emotion comes from the desire, and this is basically what chap the verse number 15 is too, where it talks about this, but keep repeating to yourself that desire is the root of all emotion. So you want something really badly, you're going to be anxious mm -hmm. about getting it. Yeah. I want it, I want it, I want it. Once you get it, you're overjoyed at what you got. And then you're fearful that you might lose it. So look at the desires the desire that came up with the emotions. First, anxiety, right. then being overjoyed, and you go up, and then you're fearful of losing it. Then you're 
you're envious of somebody else that has more than you. Right. You say, well, I got it, but, you know, there's, this person has more. You're jealous of somebody else that has more than you have. You are uh, fearful that you might lose this. Right? The same thing that you got, now you're afraid that you're going to lose it. And you're arrogant to those people who have less than what you have. So in Sanskrit it says Kam, Krod, Lob, Madhya, Matsarya, and Bhaya. These are all Sanskrit words that basically say all these emotions come from these various desires. Mm -hmm. Once you have control of your desires, then you're free from these emotions. These emotions drain you a lot. Yeah. They drain you. I, I want to be here on time. That's my desire. And because of that, there's anxiety to say, is there going to be traffic? Is there going to right. be traffic? Is there going to be traffic? Uh, oh, I'm happy that I'm not late. That kind of stuff. If you can eliminate that desire to say, look, I'll do what I have to do to get there, then not that I'm there or anybody else that I know of is, but as you get to the levels of Gautam Jain or you get to the levels of, of Swami Parthasarthi from whom I learned all this, then you get to that level where you can be calm and not allow the desires to inter, uh, interfere. So now let's get to quality number 16 where we were supposed to start <laughs> today, which is free from want, hmm. anapeksha. This is a test of how spiritual a person is, free from any kind of want. People go to a temple, mosque, say, I want this, I want this, please, I want my daughter to get married, please let her get married. The bhakta, the, the spiritual person, has no wants, no desires. He, your focus should be more on your in, inner self than what you want. And what do you want? Mm -hmm. You have three components. We all have three components to ourselves, the body, the mind, and the intellect. When you focus on your body, the body has multiple sensual desires. Mm -hmm. All the senses are craving. I want the temperature to be warmer. I want the temperature to be colder. I want this uh, to smell nicer. I want the visual to right. be All these sensual desires. The mind has emotions, all kinds of different emotions. And the intellect is constantly seeking information from the world. I want to know about this. I want to know about that. The more your focus is on these three parts of your of yourself the more your focus is on wants because it generates more yeah. desires your focus if should be away from your body and your mind into your intellect onto the inner self and that will uh, allow you to be free from those wants but if you focus on the atman to the extent that you focus on the Atman, you're self-sufficient for happiness. So a person who's totally focused has completely zero desires or any wants. Person that moves even one step towards that gets that much satisfaction, and that's a lot. So you, people may say, well, I'm just going to force myself. If forcing yourself doesn't work, because then you just become frustrated. Right. Yep. It has to come from within. So Gautamji tells us the story of King Janaka, who is a very wealthy king in the scriptures. And although he has everything he wants, he's free from want, because regardless of what he has, even if he didn't have it, he'd be a person who was free from want. Right. And Sudama, who is a friend of Krishna, Lord Krishna, Gautam Jain tells us the story about how Sudama 
is very, very poor, doesn't have a home to live in, doesn't have a house, and his wife keeps bugging him to say, go to your friend Krishna and ask him for X, Y, and Z. So after much pressure from his wife, <laughs> he starts, and those days you didn't have a bus or a car that could drive you. You had to basically either take your horse or a bullock cart or yep. something like that. He has nothing, poor man, so he walks. And he walks for days and days and days and finally comes to the kingdom of, of Krishna and then goes in to seek his good friend Krishna. Krishna is overjoyed to see him, puts him on his own throne, washes Sudama's feet to say, thank you, my friend. That was the custom at that time, to say, washes his feet, massages them because he walked all this distance, and then feeds him and gives him a nice, comfortable bed. And Sudama is totally not lavishly uh, indulging in these things, just happy to see his friend. Yes. And the end of this period of stay, he says, okay, bye, and he says bye to Krishna and starts walking back, comes back to his wife. His wife says, so what did you ask him for? He says, I completely forgot. <laughs> because he was so free from any desire yeah. or want, he didn't even ask him. Went there, was happy to see him, came back, didn't keep going over all the things he got. Oh, my God, that food was great, that bed was great, I wish I had that, nothing like that. So what can make you focus on what you have and be grateful for that and not what you don't have? Your focus shouldn't be on what you don't have, but focus should be on what you are already have and be grateful for that. Um, so just look around you and think, th see what you should be grateful for. One of the things that I think about personally is people who are blind. I want to do you know, more for people who are blind because it, it strikes a chord within yeah. me. And every time I focus, I say, how happy am I that I can see? I can read because that's a big thing for me. I like to read. And I focus and I say, what would happen to me if I were blind? And I feel about the people who are blind. So I'm happy. That gives me happiness. Yeah. And I try to spread that to other things to say what I have and I focus on that. So that would be something good. So quality number 17. There's a popular song lyric. What is? That goes, uh, it's not about wanting. It's not about having what you want. It's about wanting what you have. Is that right? Yeah. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. This quality number 17 is shuchi, which is clean, pure, tidy. What does the Gita, why does the Gita emphasize being clean as a quality of a bhakta or a spiritual person or a devotee? Most people would say, what does clean have to do with that? Go to the temple, pray, close your eyes, you know, say, ask God for something. What does clean have to do with it? Very important thing that we have often forgotten that cleanliness, efficiency, tidiness, all of these things help you to become more spiritual, become more devoted. And why is that? Because in the scriptures, our desires are considered dirty. Desires, the vasanas are considered wishes, all of these things are the devil, or dirty, etc. Mm -hmm. How can you be aware to get rid of these desires as dirt from within yourself if you don't recognize external disorganization right. and dirtiness and so on? So we should try, and this is a quality that could strike people who are basically at some level a little compulsive anyway little people who want to keep things neat and clean yes. uh, anyway, says, I can do that. So 
try to keep your work around you, your, your handwriting, your papers, your books, your clothes, your um, everything, neat, clean, and tidy. Um, the Marines have a saying, right? There should be a place for everything and everything in its place. Right. Right? So if you just focus on keeping everything neat, clean, everything in its place, you don't have things scattered all over, and wash, clean, get rid of the dirt. The scriptures say if you are aware of the cleanliness around you and everything is clean, you can then start to focus on the inside and cleanse your own thing. Yeah, clutter is said to be uh, indicative of, of a thought process. Yeah, the, what is that saying about, you know, if your desk is cluttered, your mind is cluttered, that yeah. kind of thing? Uh, of, I, Plus, I don't, a lot of this is about focus, and if you have a lot of stuff in front of you and a lot of stimulus, it makes it difficult to focus. Correct. A friend of mine, his son goes to Kumon. Have you heard of Kumon? No, I don't it's think a, so. It's, I think, an Asian, Japanese, um, I think, school where they, in addition to your kid going to public school, they can go in for tuition or extra help to Kumon. And Kumon is classes where they teach you math and English and reading and stuff like that from an early age. Mm -hmm. He was telling me, and I said, how does it work? He says, my son has shot up from where his kids are in his class to a level like two or three grades above. Um, this is not an advertisement for right. Kumon. I have no. nothing to do with it. I don't have any children or grandchildren <laughs> going to it. But this is what he was telling me, that he says, the first time my son went there, what they were focusing on is cleanliness. He says, make sure that before you go to school, you're clean. Your face is washed, your hair is combed, your, your clothes are clean, you're clean, and that your books are organized, put neatly, your books are covered, your pencil is sharp, and he says when he goes to Kumon, the first thing they do is tell them, put the books neatly in one pile, take your pencils, put them in front of you, neat, sharp, and your papers shouldn't be all smudges and scratches and erasures and stuff like that. It helps the mind yep. when you have that. So that is about cleanliness, which is the 17th quality. Now we go to the 18th, which is Daksha, which means being skillful as an expert to be dexterous and efficient. So again, a Gita, the Gita says that a Bhakta is always prompt, on time, efficient, alert. He is an expert in anything and everything he does. He knows that he ought to do something. He does it not because he wants to do it, but because he ought to do it. And sometimes when he knows that he ought to do this, he then says, now I want to do it because it's giving me pleasure. Right. Where regardless of whether it's pleasurable or not, he ought to do it, so he does it. That particular action then he starts to focus on and gets to be better and better at it because he's saying, I need to do it. He becomes, it becomes an obligatory duty, and it is sacred to him, so mm -hmm. he keeps doing it. When you're fully committed to your obligation, you become efficient at it, and you do it until the end. There's no half-heartedness. There's no, you know, I do it and say, oh, who cares? I don't, I'm not getting paid for it anyway. You do it because that's your duty, and so there's no half-heartedness about it. There must be commitment to what you do, and that's known as daksha. So in the scriptures, there's a story in the Mahabharata about Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna started off by being a human being, mm -hmm devoted himself, became self-realized and efficient, and when he was riding the chariot in the Gita with Arjun sitting behind him, 
Arjun was his cousin didn't know that he was self-realized. He just thought of him as his cousin. Yep. But he was self-realized. He was a king. When they won the war, the Pandavas, there was they decided that they were going to have a big celebration. Gautam Jain tells us the story that they had this big celebration planned and everybody said, okay, what's everybody's duties going to be? The princes, the kings. And he says, okay, I will take care of the guests. I'll welcome them. I'll make sure that their seating is proper. I'll make sure that the food is... He says to Lord Krishna, Lord Krishna volunteers, he says, I'll take care of the footwear. And they said, no, you know, you are God. You can't <laughs> take care of anything. He says, no, this is all yeah. uh, symbolic. Mm -hmm. I don't know that this really happened, right. but it's symbolic for, to, for us to learn. Lord Krishna says... The, the custom at that time and even now in India is when you enter a palace or a home or a temple or any place, you take your outerwear, footwear out and leave it at the door. You walk in and you either put on inside shoes or you walk barefoot. Mm -hmm. So Lord Krishna says, I'll take care of the footwear outside. And the party was supposed to start at a particular time. Everybody's waiting. There's no guests. They had invited hundreds of guests and no guests. Hmm. Everybody said, the princess said, what happened? Where are they? And the, the servant said, well, they're outside. Everybody's standing near the footwear. They said, why? So they all went out. And when they went out, all these people were trying to look because Krishna had arranged everybody's shoes in such a beautiful way <laughs> that they were standing there to admire what a fantastic job he had done. So this quality of daksha shows that when somebody is self-realized or somebody's on the process of getting there, everything he does, even something as simple as arranging the footwear, is done in a meticulous, efficient manner, as Lord Krishna did. Right. So if you really crave for something that you know you do it because you ought to do it, you will do it well. And you should do it well and to the best of your capacity because that's your obligation. And what causes that to happen is the uh, intellect. The intellect, as it gets stronger, just by listening to this, studying it, reading it, your intellect gets stronger and you become more efficient. We might call it a sense of responsibility. You know it's your obligation, yeah. it's your responsibility, so therefore you say, okay, yeah. listen, I have to do this properly. I can't do it half-hearted, so it's a responsibility. Did we say we're going to go to quality number 19 yes. today? Okay. So the 19th quality is being unconcerned. Mm -hmm not worried, constantly being concerned about something. Unconcerned doesn't mean being indifferent. Say, I don't care. Right. Unconcerned means that when you have your focuses on the higher, you're not concerned about the lower, right? So if you're thinking constantly about a higher purpose, you're not concerned about the lower purpose. Your focus has shifted to something nobler. A bhakta, a spiritual person, is so focused on self-realization that everything else pales into insignificance or unconcern. So imagine that I'm playing a game with my grandchildren. They may be very concerned about what extra they get, which card they get, or, right. you know, I'm playing chess with my seven-year-old now. He's so <laughs> concerned about different moves. To me, it's just a game. Yeah. To me... I'm there to teach him how to play and to enjoy time with him. I don't really care whether he wins or I win. I'm there. My purpose is different. That's what happens with a bhakta as he's going on in his life. He's less concerned about the outcome, more concerned about the path and his duty to the higher self. So 
opened my eyes when Swami Parthasarthi had written a book about rituals and a symbolism in Hinduism. And Gautam Jain, my teacher, explained all of this to me. How Ganesh, for instance, everybody's aware, even those who are not Hindus, of the elephant god Ganesh. Yes. Are you familiar, Lou, with A little him? bit, yeah. Yeah. So it's, he's got <clears throat> an elephant head, arms, and he's got a big belly. Each one of these things means something, and at some point we can talk about it. But if you look at any statue of Ganesh or a photograph, you will see that there is, at his feet, is a rodent, a mouse or a rat, with his hands folded, looking up in obsessions at Ganesh, with pleading eyes or looking at him in prayer mm -hmm. and at the in front of the mouse or rat is a plate of dessert we in india it's called laddu mm -hmm. which is a round sweet kind of thing that people who like sweets love it mice love sweet things like that but he's got this tray full of it but instead of eating it he's looking at ganesh what that symbolizes, as Gautam Jain explained to us, is that the mouse, the rat, is symbolic of and represents the mind in each one of us. Why? Because rodents, rodents are the whole family of rice, uh, rats, mice, squirrels, that kind of thing. If you notice, as the weather starts getting colder, how many squirrels are running back and forth across the road? There's dead kills. What are they called on this? On Roadkill, yeah. Roadkill. Yeah. As, as the, because so many squirrels put their lives in danger because they're running across the street when cars are speeding by just to see if they can find an acorn or some food on the other side of the road. Right. Not that they're short of food. What they do generally is they take this food Either they eat a little bit, and then they just run to hide it. They're running, 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 as we humans are all the time. They eat a little bit, and they say, I better hide it for next time. And they dig a hole or whatever they do to hide it. And then they promptly forget where they've hidden it. And they say, I don't have it, so I'm going to look for more. And that's what human beings do. Our mind says, I want, I want, I want. The minute I have it, I forget about what I got. Yep. I'm looking at the next thing. And so the rat or mouse is used and the monkey is used in the scriptures as a symbol of our mind, that our mind forgets what we have and keeps looking for more. Mm -hmm. So the mouse at the foot of Ganesh, if it was unchecked, this mind would be eating and indulging in these plate full of desserts. Right. But this mouse is instead of doing that, looking to the intellect, which is represented by right. Ganesh, saying, I need your permission before I'm going to touch that. I'm not going to touch it unless I get permission from the intellect, which is the parallel that we need to follow, that when we have a desire, you don't look to f indulge in it right. immediately unless and until our intellect, which should be stronger, says it's okay to do that at this point. For example, somebody who's diabetic says, oh, wow, that looks great. <laughs> A peanut butter and jelly sandwich and yeah. loads of sweet jelly on top. I love to eat it. But no, I can't eat it because my doctor says my sugar has to be right. in control. Push my desire for that away and eat something that I can eat with my diabetes. 
So by getting this knowledge is what makes the intellect stronger, and that's what the purpose of this for. So that's the end of the 19th quality. Um, we will follow next time, is, and, and I hope you, any comments you have, please feel free to add them here. I'll respond and answer your questions as and when I'm able to respond to them. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you next time.